It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. Coming up on episode number seven of Sports Day Plus at 1045, where are we at in society? My kids are getting in trouble at school, but I'm having a hard time being upset. At 10.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with legendary baseball promoter Mike Veck about the new Netflix documentary on his life. And coming up in seconds, the baseball playoffs are about to get a whole lot more fun with the Rangers and Astros meeting up for the ALCS starting on Sunday. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Congratulations are in order, I guess, to the Houston Astros. No, in all seriousness, the Houston Astros finish off the Minnesota Twins last night in the ALDS. Takes them four games to dispatch a Minnesota. They win the series 3-1 to one on a 3-2 to two final score in Game 4. A game unsurprisingly in Minnesota. I say unsurprisingly because, well, the Astros won both games in Minnesota. And this is a team that has been very good on the road throughout the year. Jose Urquidy. Bit of a surprise start, but he does a great job, as does the Astros offense. And then... Ryan Presley lights out in the ninth inning to shut the Twins down for good. And this sets up a matchup with the rival Texas Rangers beginning this Sunday in the American League Championship Series. And what an exciting time for baseball fans in this state. Now, if you're an Astros fan, I'm not going to say you're taking for granted making it to the ALCS, but when you make it there seven years in a row... Well, it kind of becomes old habit. Whereas Rangers fans have dealt with nearly a decade of futility. Last time they were in the playoffs is 2014. So I guess technically that does count as a decade. They make it back to the ALCS for the first time since that World Series run. Back in 2010 and 2011. And this is a team that's playing good baseball right now. Going up against... Their in-state rival, their division rival, and a team that they've gotten chippy with this year. Yes, it's not just the fan bases that dislike one another. These two teams don't seem to care for one another based on on on-field actions and that typical baseball posturing that happens in lieu of an actual fist fight. Now, the Astros, they dominated the season series. And we're especially good in Arlington at Globe Life Field. But again, this feels like a different Rangers team right now. A Rangers team that you could argue is playing as good as anybody in these playoffs. And one that I think is up to the task and will give a great series to the Houston Astros. Will they win when it's all said and done? I don't know. Hard to tell, hard to predict. And that's one of the fun things about sports is the unpredictability. But the Rangers starters have been pretty darn good in the playoffs. The bullpen, while not pressed into action in a whole lot of high-stress situations, has also been pretty good, too. Both the starters and bullpen's ERAs is below three and much closer to two than three. 
And this Rangers lineup continues to be a force to be reckoned with. Led by Kyle Seeger, of course, but really top to bottom. This is a formidable lineup. And the Astros, their bats have also gotten going at the right time. How about Jose Abreu? Felt like a bit of a cast-off this year with Houston. Felt like that bat speed had slowed down from a few years ago where he was one of the elite hitters in the sport with the Chicago White Sox. He went on an absolute tear against the Twins in the ALDS. And will no doubt be one of those guys that people are paying close attention to as this series gets going on Sunday. The Rangers, because they do get that extra day, also get to reset their rotation. Although, then again, the Astros do as well. And this should be a fun series. I hope it's a fun series. If it's not a fun series, I hope it's because the Rangers still haven't lost a game by, let's see, next Thursday, by the end of Game 4 on Thursday. But otherwise, I hope it's an entertaining series for fans of both of these teams, but also for the sport of baseball. A sport that has seen a resurgence amongst fans in 2023 for a variety of reasons. Part of it, the -the on-the-field play. Part of it, making the game more palatable with some rule changes that speed games up. Yes, baseball games going three hours. Well, there's only so many stories that you can tell in that three-hour span. Abbreviating extra innings, which is not a rule that continues into the playoffs. I think that was great for the regular season. And fans have responded in kind with record ratings and also, in a lot of places, record crowds too. And I expect to see raucous crowds both in Houston and in Arlington, for those teams' respective home games. It's actually an interesting sports night tonight. You only have one divisional series still going on in the baseball playoffs. That would be Philadelphia hosting the Atlanta Braves in Game 4 of that series, with the Phillies having a chance to clinch tonight which would knock off the number one seed, not just the NL, but I think a lot of people would argue in the entire playoffs. I believe record-wise that was the case. And if that were to happen, well, three or four teams in the league championship series would be a wild card team. The one exception would be the Houston Astros. But the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, the D-backs who... Geez, they swept the Dodgers. Tough break there, L.A. Dodgers out of it once again. And then the Rangers, of course. So we'll be paying close attention to that. And there's also some football happening tonight. As most of you are aware, who are NFL fans, of course, the new week gets going on Thursday. Stinking Amazon Prime carries the game. Look, I have Amazon Prime. It's not that big of a deal, I guess. It still annoys me that I can't just flip to my normal... I guess you call it cable provider, YouTube TV, where I normally watch live sports to have to go to Amazon Prime. Not that big of a deal, I guess, but still a slight nuisance. Better get used to it, though, because this is the future of sports. Based on the streaming services and their willingness to bid hundreds of millions of dollars to carry live sports going forward. The game on Prime tonight, yeah, you get one good team. The other team... 
Depends on the year. Sometimes they provoke interest, other times they don't. But the Kansas City Chiefs and Denver Broncos does seem like a one-sided affair tonight. The Broncos, they stink this year. Sean Payton's first year in the Mile High City. The defense is not very good, as evidenced by the fact that they gave up 70 to the Miami Dolphins a few weeks back. But they've got big problems on offense, too. And it's not something that Sean Payton is clearly able to come in and fix in a single season. And the problem on offense is personified by a guy who has been a star in this league for a long time, but we're seeing that star begin to dim. It was happening last year, and Seahawks fans would tell you it was happening in the last couple of years of his tenure in Seattle, too. That would be Russ Wilson. I'm not sure how much longer he has. Teammates in Seattle were over the act a long time ago, but in Denver, they're now tiring of his act too and him not putting enough focus onto the field because he is way too concerned with his brand. They've also had some bad injury luck, especially at wide receiver, a little bit at running back with Javante Williams not being fully healthy from that knee injury suffered last year. Whereas the Chiefs, well, even though they lost the season opener, they are in prime form right now. Once again... It is Pat Mahomes, and with the exception of Travis Kelsey and some would argue Isaiah Pacheco, because he has been good these last few weeks, it's the Pat Mahomes show. Travis Kelsey is healthy enough to play tonight, and yes, football fans, it sounds like Taylor Swift is going to be back in the crowd, as obnoxious as that is. Hopefully with her movie coming out this weekend, this is it for Taylor Swift showing up in NFL games, but who knows. All right, coming up, it is a two-segment chat with legendary baseball promoter Mike Veck on a new Netflix documentary on his life. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Mike Veck is one of the most famous promoters in baseball from the late 20th and early 21st century. He is currently the president of the Gold Clang Baseball Group, which owns the Charleston River Dogs, Fort Myers Miracle, St. Paul Saints, Hudson Valley Renegades, and others. He's also the son of Baseball Hall of Famer Bill Veck and grandson of Bill Veck Sr. He's also the subject of a new Netflix documentary called The Saint of Second Chances, a film that chronicles the Vec baseball family, their history, including how Mike inadvertently derailed his father Bill's illustrious ownership career through the ill-fated disco demolition night and his subsequent devotion in the following decades to understanding the significance of redemption and second chances. Film features archival footage, photos, first-hand interviews, and reenactments. That includes Charlie Day of Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame playing Mike Veck in some of those reenactments. You can actually check the Netflix documentary The Saint of Second Chances out now. It came out on Wednesday, and it is available for you to view after you hear my conversation with Mike. Mike, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Are you in Austin right now? I am in Austin. You ever been here before? Yeah, I saw Bob Seger's farewell tour there. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen. Loved it. Great hospitality in town, but wonderful show. When was this? 
Mm, about a year and a half ago. Oh, is that right? So this is recent. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Seger's final. Last tour was a just a wonderful show. Where are you located these days, Mike? Charleston, South Carolina, and St. Augustine, Florida, depending on depending on hurricanes and the weather. <laughs> I think it's good to have a couple of different options there. And Charleston is a beautiful place and also a place that loves its minor league baseball, too. I mean, is part of the reason why you're in Charleston is because of how well people have eaten up uh, the River Dogs and other minor league options over time? You know what the problem is, Trey, with Charleston? When you operate a club in Butte, Montana, or Brockton, Massachusetts, you don't get a lot of spouses or partners who want to go there. But when you operate in Charleston, it doesn't matter if you're the wife of a scout or the husband um, of a marketing genius. Nobody wants to leave Charleston. So you, you get there and you go, hey, I got to stay here. And that's what happened to me, my kids, my wife. I've worked with Detroit Tigers for three and a half years and I commuted. <laughs> I just couldn't get anybody to leave Charleston. So, yeah, that has something to do with it. <laughs> Well, there you go. It's a beautiful place to uh, to call home, I guess, even if you're having to uh, jet set all over the country. So The Saint of Second Chances was a really enjoyable film, a, a fun film, a heartfelt film at times, too. When was the idea for this documentary initially proposed to you? When Was there any hesitation in you saying yes? There was a lot of, of, of hesitation, and Morgan and I have known each other for 15 or 20 years, and we had a, a conversation about doing a, a, some kind of documentary on the St. Paul Saints or maybe a participatory um, film, a short, whatever we could do, and we just never got it off the ground. And then um, my partner in Fun is Good, Fran Zuli, we, we, he kept talking about doing a, a documentary and my son night train is really the one who got it done because he sat there and said, dad, it's 110 years. I love being fourth generation. You hated being third generation, get over it and look at the totality of this and, and you could have some fun with it. And he was right. So I, I just out of the blue, when I saw Morgan um, did 20 feet from stardom, I called him up and I said, hey, you're an overnight success, baby. And we had a big laugh about it. And then it kind of just started from there. And it was there were huge um, hurdles because my wife, Libby, you know, Rebecca's only been dead four years. She was not into it. And uh, so Jeff and Morgan uh, flew to Charleston and we all had lunch and, and they convinced her because of the kind of people they are that it would be handled with grace and style and dignity, exactly the way Rebecca died. Was that a big part of your reluctance right there too? I, I knew that because I'd known Morgan for a long time, I knew kind of what kind of man he was. And Jeff, you just meet him once. My reluctance was uh, kind of uh, asinine, because I just felt that MLB would never support this with a VEC in it. And um, I just thought it would be wasting your time. And, and, uh, and Netflix overcame all of those 
problems. So, you know, a, a story with Daryl Strawberry and Mike Veck that MLB's supporting, that's, that's pretty outrageous. <laughs> Daryl and I had a huge laugh about it a month ago. I mean, it's here you go from being pariahs to, to their helping us. So that's what I worried about is everybody getting too far down the road and, and nothing happening. It really boggles my mind, Mike, that Major League Baseball has a problem with you or has a problem with uh, generations of your family now because you guys have been all about bringing the joy to the game. You're almost the anti-baseball purist in a sense. And for a sport that is struggling to remain relevant in 2023 and has taken some drastic steps, to try and bring people back to the game. I just don't understand why they are begrudging you. What is your explanation for that? Well, I think there was a period for, for my dad, it was certainly testifying on behalf of, Fert, of Kurt Flood in a reserve clause. That really annoyed people. It's not really the, the Eddie Goodell episode, the dwarf with the St. Louis Browns, or the revenue sharing that he suggested. It was that people liked him and the fans looked towards him because he was a fan and they identified with my dad and he made every decision for the good of, we pulled up in front of a ballpark one day and my dad said to me, here's a test. Whose parking spots are these? And I looked down and I said, they're the owner's parking spots. And he goes, where are they? Right next to the entrance. He goes, that's wrong. You park a half a mile away and let the fans park right next to the ballpark. That was his approach. Every decision was made for the fans. I blew up those disco records and that made an easy way to just dismiss. Oh, that's that Vec. And then minor league Vec. Then it's the fact that I have 10 years in the big leagues is, is secondary to the fact that, Oh, you can do that kind of stuff in the bush, but you can't do it here. Well, what happens when Bill Murray takes the first base coaching box for the Cubs. Does that, is that minor league humor? Well, I don't think so. I think they're thrilled to have him do this, to make the game, as you said, more relevant. So we just need to provide that kind of access to our players, to the kids now, to grab back some of that relevancy. But it's easy to dismiss. You know, people get carried away with, we're so professional. Agents want players to be professional, so they get endorsements. Well, there are plenty of guys who got endorsements who were, shall we say, off the wall at, at best. So I think the game's in better shape than it's been for a long time. And I think that period was because we had people running it who really didn't like baseball. That's a great way to put it. I think of it, and radio suffers from this too, a lot of industries do right now. And this is not just a modern times thing, by the way, this goes back to the beginning of business is that industries tend to be run by dinosaurs, these slow moving creatures who don't take a whole lot of risks and they end up getting surpassed by more innovative people within the same business or other businesses because they are so slow to change. And I think risk Calculated risk especially is good regardless of the industry. But when you're talking about industries that people are pointing to and say, oh, this is dying a slow death right here. That is the 
optimal time one to try and infuse a little bit more fun in the process because if those most involved aren't having fun you're completely screwed but to also recognize that people aren't looking for the same old thing out of you that's what you've been doing for so long it's trying to time to mix it up and blow up some disco discs or uh, plenty of the other incredible promotions that uh, that you have helped conduct over time well i got to the devil rays and back then they were the Devil Rays, now the Rays. And if I heard one time, I heard it a million times. That's not how we do it. To which I would say, and that's why we're not drawing any people. So let's try it. I'm one of the few people who's very hopeful about the pandemic. I think that people, that youngsters at the age of 72, people my age need to step aside and support. We need to work for youngsters. You look at the political landscape. I don't think it's so much that people are, they're divided, yes. But what really makes people crazy is that, you know, we don't have any term limits. People live to be 400 and they're in office and things like that. So the pandemic suddenly made it good for people because they can say, you're not going to run up the flagpole this time. Let's just try something new. And the tech industry is going to have a huge impact on it. And baseball has a huge opportunity right now to pivot quickly and try a lot of things. And I do think this year with the bigger bags and, and the pitch clock, we're, we're making an attempt. Whether they're right or not, doesn't matter. We're trying new things. And I, if you want to make baseball healthy tomorrow, just invite 100 men and women from minor league baseball, people who work ungodly hours and give them jobs at the major league level, and your business would improve 10-15% without doing a thing. He is legendary baseball promoter Mike Veck, the subject of a new Netflix documentary called The Saint of Second Chances. Coming up, one more segment with Mike on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elliott. Back with legendary baseball promoter Mike Veck, who is, of course, a part of the very famous baseball family, the Vecks. Mike, on top of being such a well-known promoter of the game of baseball, is currently the president of the Gold Clang Baseball Group, which owns the Charleston River Dogs, Fort Myers Miracle, St. Paul Saints, Hudson Valley Renegades, and others. He is the son of Baseball Hall of Famer Bill Veck and grandson of Bill Veck Sr. And he's the subject of a new Netflix documentary that we're talking about tonight called The Saint of Second Chances, a film that chronicles the baseball family history of the Vex, including how Mike inadvertently derailed his father Bill's illustrious career through the ill-fated disco demolition night and his subsequent devotion in the following decades to understanding the significance of redemption and second chances. The film features archival footage, photos, first-hand interviews, and reenactments with Charlie Day of Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame playing Mike Veck in some of those reenactments. You can actually watch The Saint of Second Chances now on Netflix, but I do continue the second of a two-part conversation with Mike now. 
We have the Round Rock Express here in the Austin area, and it is run by, amongst others, Nolan Ryan's sons. And they do a great job of making sure that the fan experience is top notch and they're playful with things and they think outside the box because that's what you do with minor league baseball. And it's a, you know, minor league baseball, there are certain franchises that obviously struggle because they're in a hard hit financial community, or maybe they're just not running things as playfully as they could. But the express, I I believe is a great example of a franchise that likes to do it right. Now you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the uh, disco inferno from a few minutes ago. So I used to work at WGN radio in Chicago with Gary Meyer, who was a part of the insanity that night, along with his broadcast partner, whose name is escaping me. I think it's Steve something, but uh, Steve Dahl. yeah, Steve Dahl. There you go. I used to love hearing Gary talk about that. Just how insane that situation turned out to be. Is that the craziest promotion that you've ever been a part of? Well, it's certainly the craziest and the most successful or the biggest failure, depending on what day of the week it is and to whom you speak. But but Gary's a perfect example would tell you that that they just became overnight in this. And I'm joking about this, but sensations. They were simulcasting into three or four different markets. I was in the unemployment line while they were while they were doing it. But the fact is, is that that was a perfect example of what you're talking about. That was a risk. We took a risk. But to me, it was a risk because we were going to draw 35,000 people. Uh, how did I have any idea that 100,000 people, you know, would show up? I mean, it was just n- not in the book. So it happened. I misread the audience, but I paid dearly. And, uh, and I'll say this. Radio stations change their formats overnight. And the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees whined about it for the next 20 years. Hell, the time they were off the air, they made more money writing songs for Streisand and other people. I don't know what they're complaining about. And KC's still working. He ought to be thanking me. <laughs> yeah, I think society owes you a debt of gratitude for helping to uh, rid the musical planet of disco, at least for a little bit. Everything... Uh, everything happens in circles and we've come back around to that circle a couple different times with newer disco coming out. Now you talked about learning uh, a necessary lesson there. And that is so important in moments of failure to learn those proper lessons that you can avoid saking, making that same mistake over and over again for you. Was that lesson as simple as not underestimating your crowd the next time you do something that has uh, such potential to create chaos this is going to seem very self-serving in, in view of the conversation, the way that this has kind of moved back and forth that you and I have had. But the real lesson it taught me was you get old. I was 28 years old. I didn't realize that there was a demographic 15 to 19 listening to Steve Dahl and listening to Gary Myers. And more importantly, they were doing what they told him. It's the power of radio. It's the power of a personality. And back in those days where you were gently treading is the fact that every station had a totally unique personality in the marketplace. And that's what made radio or makes radio so wonderful. You can pivot quickly. You can change. Um, And so every promotion we do, minor league, major league is supported by a media outlet. And and I learned all that from disco. Plus, 
when people threaten me and go, huh, this is a disaster. I used to sit there and go, we're not drawing people in Tampa or we have a problem in Detroit. This is not a disaster. A disaster is when there's 10,000 people on your field and you have to play the second game. It was only the fourth forfeiture in the history of baseball. I've been reminded of that maybe 10, 12, 13 million times. <laughs> Mike, you're a top-notch storyteller on top of being a great promoter too. What's the key to a good story? Failure. Nobody wants to know about the appearance that you make where they sell 27 cars. But have a promotion where you give away keys and all of them work and you've suddenly your radio station or your ball club has given away 27 cars because there was a mistake made. Those make for great after dinner stories. You invented back night, who cares? But you did all-star bat because you were so broke. You had to go and buy bats from every club that were left over from their bat nights. Now you got a story. <laughs> That's what you learn is, Great stories grow out of failure and the sun comes up the next day. And in, in a serious business note, people follow people who fall on the grenade. If you just take responsibility, we need a society right now that goes, yep, I did it. I made a mistake and move on rather than obfuscating and trying to, well, you know, that was really Alex's problem i mean i don't want to throw her under the bus but she made the mistake it's just literally admit one it. of the big, literally one of the biggest lessons that i try and teach my kids is own the mistakes that you make everybody makes mistakes but what separates successful people from unsuccessful people is successful people will own their mistakes learn lessons and try not to to do the same thing twice if they can help it Absolutely. Can't go wrong with that advice. And you know, dad's got to stick together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Including with all that unsolicited advice, you're friends with Bill Murray. And if I have a list of dream interviews, top three, Bill Murray makes that cut along with probably Larry David and maybe even somebody like Dave Chappelle. Do you have a favorite Bill Murray story? Actually, I got a few of them, but I'll give you one that, that is so apropos of his personality there was a, a writer in thunder bay uh ontario who was wild to interview bill but what made what made him different was he only wanted to ask him one question his name was ron hartvixen that's how embedded in my brain this story is and this is like in the late 90s and ron pesters me he's just all over me like a bad suit day after day only one question Mike. just one question but it's i gotta ask bill murray this one question finally i just i'm like it's open he'll be here wednesday night be here here's ron hartfixon sitting in the bleachers in the bleachers at midway stadium before we built a new ballpark in st paul and hartfixon looks at bill and he goes who was the greatest actor you ever worked with? And without missing a beat, Bill goes, John Belushi. And Ron Harfickson said, I'm going to break my promise to Mike. I'm going to ask you a second one. Why? And Bill goes, if you did 10 scenes with John Belushi, you did 10 versions of the same thing. He always pulled a new 
act out of you. He, he pulled a new way to look at it. And, you know, I, I, I expected De Niro. I expected Dustin Hoffman or Meryl Streep. Or, I didn't expect John Belushi. And it gave me such a respect for his awareness of his business. I mean, there's, <laughs> he's, he's really, really bright. He's a great partner to have. And the nicest thing about him is he signs every autograph for people because he understands that they go to his movies. And mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty simple. So if an A-lister can take all that time for people who admire him, like you, why can't shortstops hitting 230 Oh, for 27, come out and face the public. Baseball's got to figure that out. In the best interest of baseball, you can make them go on the field. And the commissioner should. Love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And last question here, Mike. What do you love about baseball? I love the fact that you can have a huge failure. You can get shellacked 18 to nothing, no matter how bad the whooping was. Ball game's over. Next day, you start all over again. It's a very forgiving game. It is. I'd love that about it. Fresh start. He is Mike Veck, legendary promoter and storyteller who spent his life trying to help people love baseball a little bit more. And he is the subject of an excellent new Netflix documentary, The Saint of Second Chances. It is out on September 20th. Mike, thank you so much for the conversation today. Congratulations on this film and best of luck with everything going forward. Thank you so much, Trent. Appreciate it. You as well. Thank you, Jason. Coming up and where are we at in society? Unfortunately, 2023-2024 is the year that my kids are deciding to start getting in trouble at school. The quandary for me is I'm having a hard time being upset with my kids for why they're getting in trouble. I'll explain more coming up on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your daily look at stories that show we as a people... Very occasionally, I will provide a story that gives you a sense of optimism that has you saying to yourself, hey, maybe we as a human race are starting to figure something out. Perhaps all is not lost. And today is less about society and more a question of whether I have my family going in a good or bad direction, not only in terms of my own children's actions, but my response to supposedly negative actions, at least according to their school. That's right. My kids go to public elementary school here, here in Cedar Park at Rick Perry Elementary School. Overall, we like the school. think that they've done a good job as students. They are learning. They are progressing. They are acquiring friends. They are losing friends. They're winning and losing out on the playground and in P.E. And as upstanding citizens for Rick Perry, the Rick Perry Fighting Elephants, I think, is their school mascot. 
fighting elephants of Rick Perry Elementary School in Cedar Park. Well, even though we've had small run-ins in the past that have required teachers to let us know what's going on, it wasn't until this year that each of my kids received a stern talking to from an authority figure outside the classroom, but unfortunately, just a little bit more than a month into the new school year, each of them has come home with an incident report that is requiring us to show our medal as parents and help them come to a better understanding of what is the right way or wrong way to handle a situation. So we'll start with my son. who Two weeks ago now, I apologize, this is the first time that I'm sharing this with you, but it's better than no time at all. My son got pulled from class and talked to by the vice principal after an incident at recess. He and some friends were playing tag or something of the sort at recess. And at one point, it was a mixed crowd, boys and girls. They decided to chill out for a second and shoot the breeze like second graders do. And my son who is a jokester. He is a prankster, and for a seven-year-old, this little dude has a great sense of humor. Well, one thing leads to another, and my son pulls his pants down and faux moons his classmates. Why do I say faux moon? Because he at least had the common sense to keep his underoos up. His Pokemon underoos stay on. Regardless, the athletic shorts come down. And he sticks his butt towards his friends. His friends all laugh. Unfortunately, there was at least one teacher in the vicinity who not only did not laugh, but made my son's teacher aware of what had happened. And because it's borderline inappropriate nudity, it's not really nudity, you're still showing your underoos to your classmates. So she had to file a report with the principal's office. And sure enough, my son gets the stern talking to from the vice principal. So we get this incident report. I ask him what happened. He tells me exactly what I just told you. My response to him, son, first of all, way to be aware enough, I guess, to not pull the underoos down because if the underoos came down, this is a very different conversation we're having right now. And I asked to make sure. So your classmates laughed at this. They found it funny. Yeah. That's why you were doing it for the comedic effect. Yeah. All right. Well, congratulations on one of your first lessons in comedy. And that is understanding where the line is how you can go over the line and making sure that you have a full grasp of the entirety of the audience and knowing whether or not you can get away with something. Your classmates found it funny. Nobody told on you. You got in trouble, though, because there was a teacher nearby and you weren't aware of that. And so, therefore, you got talked to by the vice principal. But I give you credit for the effort. Learn your lesson. And thank you for not pulling your underoos down. Because I did not want to have to deal with that situation. This is 
much easier to deal with. Just know, pulling your pants down and showing your underoos for people, it can backfire in a major way. It's like saying the F word in front of one of your grandmothers. There's a chance you can pull that one off and they will find whatever you just said funny. There's also the chance that you are going to get in trouble for using the F word around your grandmothers. So that's my son. Did I handle that correctly? I think it was okay. My wife was looking at me suspiciously. Like I maybe wasn't making the wisest move and giving him a pat on the back in the process. He didn't even lose an afternoon of video games. Like he got to go about business as normal. You talked to him, made sure he understands what was wrong about that circumstance and what was right. And so we just move forward. He's actually embarrassed to tell the story. And maybe that is the best part or the best way that I've handled this is that I've encouraged him to tell a couple of our friends that are over what he did to get in trouble. And he hides behind mom when I do that and says that I'm embarrassing him. So perhaps that's how we get him from pulling his pants down at school anymore. So my daughter, that was two weeks ago. My daughter last week, pick her up from school. My wife is with her or with us that day. We meet them at the same spot every day. And as we're walking away from the school and towards our car, which is parked on a side street near the school, my daughter says, I got in trouble at school today. I turn and say, oh yeah, what happened? I don't want to talk about it on the walk. We can talk about it when we get into the car. All right, whatever. That day of reckoning is happening before screen time. You understand that, right? Yes, dad, I know. I just want to wait until we get into the car. So we get back to the car. It's like a three to five minute walk. Get back to the car. My wife is driving. I'm sitting shotgun. And all of a sudden, to my left, in between my wife and I, I just see this blue piece of paper come from the back to the front. Grab the piece of paper. What do you know? It is another incident report. And I said, is this how you got in trouble today? She said, yes, just read. I read it. And the gist of it is this. One of the boys in class came up and hit me in the face. And so I hit him with the middle finger. Excuse me, not hit. She did not beget violence with violence. She flashed the bird at him. So she showed him her middle finger. And then she got in his face and threatened him if he were to ever do something like that again. This incident report has been signed by her teacher. So best of my knowledge, her teacher said, yes, this is an accurate version of events here. So I said, all right, he hit you in the face. How did he hit you in the face? He came up and flicked me in the face. I said, okay, so you guys weren't talking or anything at all before this. She said, no, I was just standing in line. We were waiting to go from our homeroom to our special for the day. Special being like PE, music, art, something like that. And I said, and he was, you were not talking to him. You did not say anything to him. You had not motioned to him. She's like, no, I wasn't even looking at him. He just walked up and flicked me in the face. She said hit. I would argue that a flick is similarly, if not a little bit more infuriating than to get hit in the face. But regardless, to have somebody physically strike you in the face 
is grounds for a fight. And I told her this. I said, way to use restraint and not straight up punch him in the nose. Because he flicked you in the face and you weren't expecting it. There are plenty of rational people to get hit in the face unexpectedly. And their guttural response is to attack that other person. You kind of did that, but you showed some restraint too. And I said, so he flicks you in the face and you look and you're immediately upset. And you just give him the bird. Just bang that middle finger up. Like, did you pull, did you push your thumb out also or is it just the middle finger she's like I pushed my thumb out also I said alright that's the best way to give the middle finger and so you give him the middle finger and then you get in his face is that how it happened yeah dad and then your teacher broke it up yeah yeah teacher broke it up at that point so I look at her and I said way to defend yourself you should never hit anybody else in the face and nobody should ever hit you in the face and boys certainly shouldn't be hitting girls I don't see what you did wrong here. And I'm not totally sure why you got an incident report. Eh, probably because of the middle finger. But much like with words, there is a time and place. And even though the teacher didn't like seeing the bird, she had to have understood deep down that my daughter could have taken that middle finger and jabbed him straight in the eye and I still would have been okay with it. Right, another show is in the books. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I also want to show some added appreciation to Mike Veck, the legendary baseball promoter. Check out the new Netflix documentary on his life and the life of his family. Is a, a group of people who tried to bring excitement to baseball and think outside the box with regards to promoting a sport that they love to the masses. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. That's going to include a lengthy conversation with sports handicapper Sam Paniatovich. We'll talk about the weekend and college and pro football. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.